and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I'm going to be talking about The Witch's Daughter, a novel by Paula Braxton. Not to be confused with the other novel called The Witch's Daughter, which I also have an episode on, but this is definitely one that was more recent because the other one came out in the 70s and this one was published in 2010. I'll include a trigger warning for this book because it does contain a rape scene and there are issues throughout it which are related to rape and sexual coercion. So The Witch's Daughter by Paula Braxton is one of a series of similar novels that she's written. Um, there are other novels with witch in the title that she's written which don't seem to be connected to this one and those are The Winter Witch, The Midnight Witch, The Silver Witch and also a short story called The Witches of the Blue Well. But there is now a sequel to this one called The Return of the Witch, which, 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 I am going to try and get my hands on just to, for the sake of completeness, follow up on the story. The story of this one is that the main character, Bess Hawksmith, is living in the 1600s and her mother is accused of witchcraft and then executed. Following on from that, she makes a deal with a warlock uh, to save her life and to get her away from there and something about this deal involves her then acquiring the power of immortality and the book then follows her to present day where she is trying to build a life for herself and throughout the book we flash back to other lives that she's had um, as she's tried to hide from Gideon who is the warlock and who, how she's tried to find a way to escape the debt that she owes him or that he feels she owes him. So I was quite keen to read this book. I do like things that have a basis in the historical witch trials and this seemed like it had a nice fantasy twist to it with the immortality angle. I also like the idea that's introduced later on in the blurb where Elizabeth in the present day meets a girl called Tegan and starts teaching her witchcraft and how to be a witch but then obviously the threat of Gideon enters the scene once again and it seems like they're going to have their final showdown. I took this book on holiday and it was just after starting it I think that I had a really nasty fall and hurt my ankle and was therefore sofa bound for about two days and so I managed to read it very very quickly. It was quite an enjoyable read uh, I did struggle with some parts of it um, for reasons that I'll get into in a moment but it was mostly the kind of book that I think you could pick up and take on holiday with you and breeze through it doesn't leave you really thinking overly much it's definitely more of a contemporary women's fiction chiclet type book as opposed to something that you're meant to sort of think about for a great deal of time during and after reading it. That's not a bad thing at all. I quite enjoy chiclet books or books that are meant to be just read as entertainment and not meant to carry any specific message along with them. And that's what this was. It was pure fantasy, pure fun. And there was something distinctly captivating about it. Uh, certain parts of it were quite interesting, although certain other parts I felt I had read before in a lot of other books. And that's not to accuse the author of like plagiarism or anything, but there are scenes where in the start Bess's family is afflicted by the plague uh, and then later the scenes of the witch trial and it just felt that we were going over quite old ground. This is stuff that's been included in quite a number of books of similar theme and that 
perhaps a lot more pages were devoted to describing that all over again than to breaking new ground and introducing new ideas and new scenes that we hadn't seen before. There are a couple of these sort of original scenarios in the book and those are really enjoyable but I do felt like they were swamped a teeny bit by the sheer volume of this book. It's quite a long book, it's 450 pages and I felt to be honest it could have been cut down by about 100 pages or so, maybe even more. There are quite a lot of wordy describing passages and sections. There are also quite a lot of really long paragraphs. The longest one I could find went on for over two pages. There was just no indent, no change whatsoever. I think I've previously said in other reviews that long paragraphs, long chapters definitely slow down the pace of the story and they make it feel like it's taking a lot longer for you to get through it. And the end result of a, a long paragraph, especially one that's two solid pages long, is the reader is going to skim because trying to maintain solid attention on the text without the breather that a new paragraph affords where you glance away or you think about what you've just read just creates a lot of stress on the reader to constantly be engaged with this really long paragraph and try and remember everything that's going on in it before they get to a point where they can rest. And it just really annoys me when books have really long paragraphs, especially for more than a page. Some of the description, as I said, is also quite wordy and you'll see from the extract that I'm going to read that um, there is quite a lot of that slightly overwrittenness to it, which I think again would have cut down on the length if they'd been a bit harsher editing that out. I felt going into it from the blurb that there was going to be a brief catch up on the life of Bess Hawksmith in the 1600s and there in fact is a couple of pages at the start where it ends with her sort of running away into the distance and then we come into the life of modern day Elizabeth. So I was a bit surprised when most of the book turned out to be set in the past because from the blurb it made it look like we were mostly going to be focused on Elizabeth now and Tegan and the modern day troubles that they were in. And in fact there were quite large sections. There's a flashback from page 39 to page 193 which goes back to the time period which ended in the short snippet at the start of the book. So it felt like we'd drastically gone back on ourselves and we already knew how, how that situation was going to end. So I understand why those flashbacks are there because they help to outline what Elizabeth's gone through in the previous years and her encounters with Gideon previously. But at the same time, they were quite long. And they take place, one is in the 1600s, the witch trials and the plague. One is in a sort of teaching hospital around the time of Jack the Ripper in Victorian London. And one is set in the First World War. And the First World War especially has been covered quite a lot in different books. And I felt a lot of time was given over in that section to going over things that we've definitely read before about the horrors of a field hospital, what it looks like, what war does to people, especially when conducted in the way it was then. And it just didn't feel like I was reading anything that I hadn't read before um, in novels specifically set in that time period. So I felt like the flashback sequences could have been a bit shorter. They didn't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel as far as 
describing the First World War, Victorian London, and the sort of witch trial era of the 1600s. There is a kind of shorthand that can be employed there where obviously you can assume that the reader knows just a little bit about it and can imagine things without having to be told them again. Now, having said all that, I did actually enjoy the book. As I said, I'm going to look up the uh, second novel in the series. The series is called The Shadow Chronicles. Um, it is quite interesting. The character of Bess herself was a nice character to get to grips with because she's definitely an active character, not passive, which I find in historical fiction a lot of the female characters tend to be quite passive and things just happen to them, whereas in this she was definitely out there doing stuff. You definitely feel for Bess at certain points throughout the story because she's trying really hard to have a life and witchcraft is impinging on that and the price that she's paid for the power that freed her from being persecuted as a witch in the 1600s is very very high and it, it keeps getting higher all the time. Some of the things that irritated me about the nature of the story were there's definitely a difference made between the kind of witchcraft that Elizabeth is practicing in the present day which she calls hedge witchcraft um, and the witchcraft that she learns from Gideon. Gideon's witchcraft involves uh, summoning demons and various imps and things very much in the style of the things that people were accused of during the witch trials uh, and when he initiates her mother into this kind of satanic hardcore demonic witchcraft imps actually come to suckle from her just the way that they do in the sort of witch trial accusations and I thought it was really kind of weird because Elizabeth gets these powers from him but then sees a distinction between the hedge magic and the magic that is what he's practicing which is sort of stereotypical anti-christian magic and then she refers to the hedge witchcraft that she's practicing as wicca and does a lot of recognizable wiccan practices like casting circles celebrating the sabbats and referring to the goddess and i just thought it was kind of poorly defined as to who this goddess was that she was talking about because obviously gideon attributes his power to the christian devil and she attributes hers to the pagan goddess and I was slightly confused about where the lines were being drawn between the fantasy uh, witchcraft that obviously the book is based in and actual Wicca and paganism today. I feel like that's a problem that I've encountered in other books um, and authors are trying to sort of mix the two together and it doesn't really come off because it's poorly identified of how those two things fit together and how much Wicca and how much witchcraft is being used in the plot. There was one thing that did particularly irritate me, and that is um, Elizabeth um, is obviously throughout the book and throughout the different flashbacks is trying to avoid Gideon and escape from him. Now, she starts life as Bess Hawksmith, and in the present day section, she is known as Elizabeth Hawksmith. But her other identities are also variations on her real name. When she is in Victorian London, she's Dr. Hawksmith, Eliza Hawksmith, so that's very similar to Elizabeth. And then in the First World War section, she's known as Elsie, I think. So she's not really making much of an effort to 
disguise herself. She's going by her full real name every time that we see her in this book. And I just felt like maybe she should just change her name to Hawk or just Smith or just make even a token effort to try and hide who she is because in every incarnation she is doing her herbal healing or she is a doctor or a nurse and going by her real name which is what Gideon knows her as and he also knows her as a practitioner of healing from when they first originally met so it's not going to take a genius to continually hunt her down and it just bothered me that the writer hadn't thought about that and thought actually how is this going to come off if my character is too dumb to just change her name something else that irritated me was in the first story where Gideon catches up with her in the Victorian London section she writes down the name of a guy she kind of feels bad feelings about and thinks he might be Gideon she rearranges the letter of his name and realizes that it's an anagram for Gideon's full name which is almost as dumb as continuing to go by your full name but just not quite as dumb so I guess Gideon wins but then she also does the same to the name of another guy who she also knows and is in love with in that section and the kind of big tragedy of that section is actually the guy who she's in love with turns out to be Gideon and his name is also an anagram and I was just feeling like one why would he pick a name that was an anagram why wouldn't he just pick a random name and two why would he set up a fake identity for some other guy and then also be there himself but have both of the names be an anagram of his name it just felt very strange and slightly lazy writing because I'm sure you could have had her find out who Gideon was without his name literally being an anagram but I digress aside from those things and it does sound like I have quite a lot of issues with this book I don't really I did enjoy it I enjoyed the plot I vaguely enjoyed the historical settings as well they were quite interesting my favorite was probably the middle section when she was in Victorian London because I quite like Jack the Ripper and all that elements of history so that really was just right up my alley it's just that some of the things in it feel like the book maybe could have been edited a little bit better and maybe someone needed to say these things when it was still being in the the pre-publication stage someone should have said actually have you noticed that this lady who's meant to be on the run this whole time never actually changes her name and maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense and it just feels like it's been deemed to be marketable and they've just gone oh yeah yeah this is definitely a great book and then maybe not as much work has been done on it as should have been but I'd give it definitely a solid rating and would definitely recommend it it's probably one of the better contemporary witch novels that I've read recently and I am genuinely interested to check out the other books that the writer has written even the ones that aren't technically related to this one in terms of plot but are still part of the Shadow Chronicles series. I'm going to read a little extract from the start of the book um, this is page nine and it's the first section which is written from modern Bess's or slash Elizabeth's point of view and I chose it just because it gives a nice idea of how the book is written but also because it kind of illustrates a little of that overwrittenness that I was referring to earlier uh, specifically when when we get into it when Elizabeth describes the colour of her hair which um I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit and if it had been at the start of the book instead of on page nine I probably would have put it down and not read anymore so uh, here we go this is February 2nd 2007 full moon awoke at dawn on my first morning at Willow Cottage to a heavy fall of snow 
The landscape lay coyly clothed in ermine, waiting to reveal itself to me upon better acquaintance. The sky blushed briefly, lending a fleeting warmth. My bedroom window affords, as I had anticipated, an excellent view of the village of Matravers. Set on a small tump at the far end of the green, my little house is pleasingly separate from the cluster of thatched cottages and the short brick terrace that make up the centre of the village. Also situated around the green, which boasts a chalk stream and duck pond, are a post office and small shop, a genteel coaching inn and a bus stop from which children are taken to school and pensioners go to the weekly market in Plasbury. The church is at the other end of the green, set back and mostly obscured by impressive views. The lane beyond the church gives access to the canal that runs west towards Pansbury. From the front of my house I have a clear sight of anyone approaching, while the modest copse behind gives me seclusion. I can choose when to see and when to be seen. I do my best to remain as invisible as my admittedly unusual appearance will allow. A woman on her own will always attract attention, particularly if she is in any way different. With this in mind, I keep my long hair tied back loosely and often wear a hat. My father used to say I had autumn hair and that this might have come about because of my September birth date. It is true, the colour is a perfect match for that season, a blend of the burnished gleam of ripe conkers and highlights of oak leaves turned copper by the falling of the year. In itself, such colour, even coupled with my hair's exceptional length, would not provoke curiosity. It is the way such deep tones contrast with the broad white streak that runs from the right side of my brow that causes people to look again. This is not some silvery mark of maturity, but a snow-pure swathe, an icy sweep, as though the goddess of winter has touched me and left her mark. Indeed, I wish that the origin of the feature were so harmless. The truth is so much darker. I am also tall, and despite my great age, remain vigorous and strong, my outward appearance suggesting I might perhaps be fifty, no more. I dress for comfort, practicality, and so as not to draw attention to myself. These days, fashion can be adapted to suit the caprice of any woman. It seems so that my long skirts, my liking for rich colours and fabrics, and my favourite garments collected over many years of roaming this earth, can all be worn without appearing anything more than a little eccentric. The cottage will, I am confident, serve my needs well. After small alterations, I plan to create a path from the back door directly to the stream, which runs through the willows that give the place its name. The holly hedge on the front boundary needs additional planting, and I must find space for elder, birch and rowan when the time is right. The garden must be completely dug over, and something will have to be done about the lack of shade to the west of the house. It is perfect for a herbery, but it is a large space, and anything else planted there will surely scorch. The house must stay as it is for now, unless intemperate weather prevents me from working outside. If there is a clear sky for the moon tonight, I will pace out my kitchen garden and mark it with hazel sticks. I might even venture for a night walk, though I doubt I shall go as far as the edge of the great woods that lie on the horizon behind the house. They beckon, but I am not ready to go there yet. They are of another time. It is easy on a shining day such as this, when all is newness and future, to forget for whole moments the past, as if it cannot cast its shadow on the taintless snow. Imolk is my favourite time of year to find a new home, signifying as it does looking forward to rebirth and renewal. But I cannot afford to become complacent. I must not allow myself to drop my guard. These picturesque surroundings are certainly benign, as I predict most of my new neighbours will prove to be. The danger, as always, will come from afar. It does not lie in wait, but follows me. I can never let myself be made vulnerable by the illusion of safety.
you can definitely find this book still in bookshops um i've seen it around and this copy that i bought is it is only just second hand it hasn't been through the mill as much as some of my other paperbacks and i have seen this in waterstones recently so go out there and buy a copy and make your own mind up and definitely stay tuned for an episode about the sequel because i'm hoping to get my hands on that very soon i hope you've enjoyed this episode and as usual you can get in touch on twitter at witchfix and via email which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com you can also catch up with the podcast on youtube if you happen to be a little bit bored at work and i'll see you in the next episode bye <laughs>